Welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. We're dispensing stories of success from across the continuum of care. I'm your host, Hillary Blackburn. Thanks for joining us to learn from leaders throughout the pharmacy industry. Hey listeners, in this episode, we have compounding pharmacist who is running for U.S. Congress out of East Tennessee. Listen to more with Diana Harshberger. All right, so today we have a special guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Our guest is Diana Harshberger, who is a PharmD. She is also the owner at Premier Pharmacy and is running for U.S. Congress out of East Tennessee. Uh, if she wins this in the November election, she could be the second pharmacist in U.S. Congress and be up there with our uh, current one from uh, with Representative Buddy Carter out of Georgia. So we sure hope she does well. We, we definitely need more pharmacists in Congress. Diana did her undergraduate studies at ETSU or East Tennessee State University and graduated from Mercer University College of Pharmacy with a Doctor of Pharmacy degree. She has been a licensed pharmacist since 1987 and is a successful business owner in Kingsport, Tennessee for over 30 years by specializing in customized patient medications And she has expertise in the development of innovative pharmaceutical formulations and alternative delivery systems for both sterile and non-sterile therapies. Diana has practical experience working in collaboration with physicians and other qualified healthcare practitioners throughout the U.S. in pain management, hormone therapy, infectious disease, dermatology, and nutritional support. Diana, welcome to the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Thank you, Hillary. It's a pleasure to speak with you this evening. Well, thank you for joining us. And now that our listeners have heard just a little about your background, maybe you can fill in any gaps from that intro or maybe share a little bit more about your personal life. Sure. Um, I have been a pharmacist for 33 years. And during that time, of course, I am married. I have a son who is also a pharmacist. I have two wonderful grandsons, uh, ages three and five, just mean the world to me. Um, my husband is pharmacist as well. It's and my daughter-in-law is a pharmacist, and uh, it's just oh, a, wow. a full family of of pharmacists, and um, everybody has their area of expertise. Um, we're a hybrid pharmacy. We do uh, regular prescriptions, but we also do a lot of uh, traditional compounding. And I've specialized in women's health uh, for many, many years. So taking care of thousands of of ladies with uh, the compounding of bioidentical hormone uh, replacement therapy. But I do a lot of other things as far as anti-aging goes. Um, I'm a member of uh, the American Academy of, uh, it's a functional medicine academy, A4M. And it's one of the, the things in life where you can take non-conventional therapies and uh, combine those with conventional therapies. And it makes a world of difference in a patient and how they, um, how you treat them. And, and it, you know, our goal is to not to be 85 in a nursing home and someone feeding us. Our goal is to be vibrant and healthy for the rest of our lives. And that's what I try to do with these patients. 
Yeah, definitely. And so how long have you owned your own pharmacy? How did you get into pharmacy ownership? Did you do that with your husband or tell us a little bit more about that journey? Well, um, we were in pharmacy school in Atlanta and uh, he, he graduated the year before me. But when we came back, we wanted to raise our son in, in our hometown. And so we settled in Kingsport, Tennessee. We had a franchise for over 20 years where we did do regular prescriptions and compounded. And I've had pharmacies all over different areas, maybe compounding only or closed pharmacies through that 30 years. But um, we now have a pharmacy located in Kingsport that my son runs. And, uh, you know, I'm more of a mentor status and a consultant pharmacist. And I do a lot of the uh, formulating and, and uh, you know, basis and things for hormone therapies, that type of thing. It's, it's like uh, anything that we've compounded for women's health or any kind of uh, supplemental things. I've been the guinea pig for over these years because I, I, it's, it's hard to... Uh, recommend something to someone if you haven't done it yourself. And I have been mm. on, uh, you know, uh, the compounded hormones for good Lord, let's see, 15, 15 years or more. So, you know, I'm a firm believer in uh, doing things as preventative medicine, just to, uh, to help someone's health. There's so many things we can do as, as pharmacy professionals to, um, you know, we're a valued part of the healthcare team and, and, what we do here today makes a difference in their life 20 years down the road if we teach them properly. And that's my goal. Right. Absolutely. And so for a lot of, of women, uh, you know, there are, I guess, standard uh, formulations out there, um, hormone therapies and things. What would you tell or how do you approach um, you know, your patients and educate them about some of the unique benefits uh, that compounding uh, the bioidentical hormones uh, can can be um, as an alternative for them. Well, it, it's, uh, you know, I, I do a lot of assessments and, you know, as pharmacists, we know we cannot write those prescriptions, but I work with various healthcare providers all over um, the district or even outside the district in different states. We're licensed in several states that we mail this to. Um, I started this probably 25 years ago when it wasn't a popular thing to do. But what I found was women came from all over and they need help. And when you can give a woman hope outside of the conventional therapies that are available, it is almost like you flip a light switch and they become more vibrant. And you know, there's studies, there's not a lot of studies on the compounded bioidentical uh, hormone replacement because, um, you know, we we compound that based on the individual need. But a woman will present or the healthcare provider will, will send her to me, will, you know, have her to the standard of care is going to be blood work. A lot of um, women prefer to do saliva testing and we can do that as well. But the standard of care as far as healthcare professionals go, go is going to be the blood work. So we can get that initial blood work and she has a questionnaire she'll fill out. We go through everything. We uh, recommend a, a starting dose for her healthcare provider to sign off on. And then we take care of her from the beginning to end. We instruct her how to do that. We always monitor. We'll have the healthcare provider redraw the blood work or we'll do redo a saliva test and 
uh, 60 to 90 days to see where they're at. And we've developed um, like a daily diary that the ladies can chart and it's symptomatic. They can put their, their symptoms, you know, and we can titrate up or down based on what those symptoms are. We always have to involve, it's a triad. It's a patient, the pharmacist and the healthcare provider that writes a prescription. We have a triad with these ladies and we hold their hand. It's like a virtual hand holding with that daily diary and we monitor their progress and it's made a world of difference in so many things. We have a lot of younger patients now too. And I've seen that in this practice, a lot of uh, younger girls. And I have another pharmacist who will deal with those um, as well as myself as far as uh, polycystic ovarian disease in, in different modalities there, because we're seeing a lot of progesterone deficiency in these young girls. And maybe that's all it takes to start them, um, even with infertility things. We've done that work in the past as well. But it's a, it's a wonderful thing to, to take them, give them hope, and put them on the right track and monitor them along the years as they progress. And uh, they don't have to take it forever, but Ladies ask me, how long should I be on it? And I'm like, how long do you want to feel good? That's the question. So there's different schools of thoughts on that as well. But that's how we start and that's how we monitor those patients. Hmm, really interesting. And um, you've been really involved uh, in the International Academy of Compounding Pharmacists and have been a former board member. So you're very familiar with some of the main issues affecting compounding. There have been a lot of new regulations coming down uh, with USP 800 and, and all of the other 797, 795. Um, how do you stay on top of all of that? Or and, and what are some of the main issues that are really affecting compounding pharmacy? Well, there's, there's many, Hillary, but, um, you know, uh, Looking at the advocacy that we do, uh, IECP is, is now called Alliance uh, for Pharmacy Compounding. You've got uh, NCPA, APHA. They all have advocacy um, units that take on these issues with compounding. There are several things that we are addressing at the moment. And uh, you mentioned the USP 800, and that is a big deal for a lot of the compounders. You know, they've taken us as pharmacies and they've divided us into two categories. And when it comes to um, what we're listed as, it's either a 503A, which the FDA regards as a traditional compounder, or we're put in the category of 503B, which is an outsourcing facility. And those facilities have to register with the FDA or they want them to register with the FDA. They're more like manufacturers that uh, they have, they can only compound from um, a preferred drug list that the FDA gives them. But I'm considered a 503A. And when you do that, that you can be a 795, which is non-sterile compounder. You can be a 797, which is a sterile compounder. And you can go through the process of being accredited, uh, PCAB accredited, which we have done. And um, there's just a lot of issues there. There's a lot of regulations that we that we need clarification for at that level. And one of the things that I wanted to address, and it, it really does pertain to compounders only, and it's the uh, FDA's compounding MOU, and that's the Memorandum of Understanding and uh, you know, we've been working on this for probably seven years just to get clarification on what we can and can't do as compounders. You know, there's a, 
words are very powerful. And within that MOU, they, they, we need a definition of distribution and dispense clarified. And uh, it, it, the funny thing is that right now with this uh, pandemic that we're going through, it's, an, it's a national emergency. And uh, they pretty much, uh, we've given them guidelines on what we think the definition of distribution ought to be. And um, going back to that, let me, let me go back on uh, to what the MOU will define. Right now, if I'm a compounder, and I am a compounder in East Tennessee, so I'm a border state. I, I border Virginia, North Carolina, um, Kentucky. And what the, the MOU states right now is it's um, if state boards of pharmacy do not uh, adopt this um, resolution or this uh, threshold's going to be at 50%, and if they don't abide by those guidelines, then it will default to a 5% uh, where, do, where you can only mail across state lines 5% of your compounded medications, and those include patient-specific uh, medications. And if that's the case, that would, uh, I'm licensed in all these states, and I ship uh, uh, more than 5% over state lines, so that would really restrict patient access to these uh, specialty compounded medications as well as it would shut a pharmacy down. So if the state board does not sign that MOU, that sets the threshold at 50%, it'll default to that 5%. And what we're trying to do is to get the FDA to define distribution. And uh, as a matter of fact, just, um, you know, because of this nationwide shutdown, about three or four weeks ago, um, there were some healthcare authorities in Georgia that they were desperate for some drugs that were shorted right now that they had to have for ventilator use on these COVID-19 patients. And they reached out to outsourcing facilities in Georgia, but the outsourcers, they even changed the guidelines for them, the FDA said. And uh, what happened was they cannot get the drugs uh, out fast enough. They said, well, we can do that, but it's going to take a month. So their next step was to go to the 503A sterile compounders and ask them to step into that drug shortage uh, arena. And they said, absolutely, we can do that. We can get it out this week. But that was pursuant. They allowed them to step in and help with these drug shortages, uh, but they had to have the state board approval. So I have friends who did that, and uh, they were able to step up and help with the drug shortages for those ventilators, and it worked out great. And that was only because Congressman Buddy Carter and Doug Collins uh, worked with the FDA to issue, to have them issue this new guidance. And Boy, did the FDA step up. They actually acted so quickly in issuing this new guidance that was tied to this public health emergency, and they allowed those 503As to step up and produce these things without a prescription, as a matter of fact. They'll have to get that, but they've allowed them. Their definition now of dispense is allowing them to dispense the drug or distribute the drug without a prescription. They have 30 days to get that, which is actually what we've been asking the FDA to issue for seven years and they've stepped up and it actually took a global pandemic to make it happen, but it has happened. And that's, that's fabulous. Never let a crisis go to waste. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I think, think, think lots of people, well, good. I'm so glad that, it, that it has benefited uh, patients because that's, you know, what ultimately um, we're able to do is step in and say, you know, there's a need. Pharmacists are able to fill that need, and they were able to um, ease that uh, regulation or clarify so that uh, 
pharmacists could make that happen. Such great work and great advocacy uh, to have some strong supporters. So Diana, um, there's a, you know, we talked a little bit about issues affecting compounding pharmacy. Um, There are, uh, you know, several other issues uh, affecting pharmacy in general, if you wanted to just maybe pick a few and, and some that you're passionate about as being in a pharmacy owner. Yeah. Well, I have uh, personally either went to every independent pharmacy in the district or once the shutdown happened, I couldn't go visit, but I've spoke with everyone I'm on the phone and the primary objective of all the independent pharmacists that I've talked to and even compounders are the PBM and DIR fee problems that we're having. Um, you know, it's, uh, Pharmacy benefit managers are just middlemen, and they were originally designed to reduce, like, the administrative costs for insurers and, uh, you know, help regulate the the, uh, the cost of prescription drugs. But what has happened, and there's a new policy alert out, and it really sheds light on what these PBMs are doing to, re- to uh, pharmacies' reimbursement rates and what they're doing to pocket the uh, the excess money that they're, they're um, taking from those DI, DIR fees, and those are direct and indirect remuneration fees. And there's a new analysis that shows that these pharmacy benefit managers are profiting from these pharmacy fees at a rate that's in excess of 500% per prescription. And the, the DIR fees are these fees are post point of sale transaction fees paid to pharmacies and to health plans. Uh, and these PBMs, it's, it's what they do is they participate in the Medicare Part D pharmacy networks. They're collected by these PBMs and these uh, health plans are supposed to share those with uh, Medicare. However, there is a loophole in the program which allows the health plans and the PBMs to pocket an excessive amount of money from those DIR fees. And right now the studies show that they have, it's a total of $8.5 billion plus dollars that they've taken from these excessive fees. And what that's done is those, those little seniors are not getting the benefit from these uh, PBMs and it's putting pharmacies out of business. I think during the, uh, they did a study and during the 12 months between June and July of 2018, 2019, over 2,200 pharmacies went out of business. And it was pursuant to those uh, pharmacies saying that the DIR fees drove them to close. So that has to be addressed. I mean, you know, that has to be addressed. That spread that they have is uh, ridiculous. And when, uh, you know, these pharmacy benefit managers own their own uh, mail order companies that pushes them and they get, uh, you know, patients are, are penalized if they don't use those mail order pharmacies too. And so that, that's also a bad, bad thing for community pharmacies. So, and that's another reason they're forced to close in a lot of cases. And these people have reached out to me and said, look, we can't, we don't know if we're going to be able to stay open another month. And the bottom line with that is we as healthcare providers, we are valuable. We're one of the most trusted professionals in the healthcare industry. And if you put community pharmacies out of business, then especially in rural areas, it's going to take a toll on the healthcare market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. Oh, well, there, there are certainly a lot of issues affecting pharmacy, um, 
And but it's it's been good to see uh, with the the pandemic that um, they are you know certain regulatory bodies are um, easing some of those to to help smooth patient care. It'll be interesting to see what happens um, post uh, this epidemic, but uh, lots of things to stay on top of for sure. And tell us a little bit more about. You know, obviously, you're passionate about advocacy for for pharmacy and and for uh, your community. Tell us a little bit more about why you're running for Congress. Well, you know, I I'm not a politician. I'm a healthcare professional, and I'm a small business owner. And my whole life, the last thirty years, I have taken care of patients. And what you do, what you learn as a small business owner, especially as a pharmacist, is you learn to listen. And uh, you listen to those patients' problems on a daily basis. And what you begin to do is you begin to learn how to solve their problems. And that's one thing in the, the industry that I'm in with the, the compounding is that we are always here to collaborate with the healthcare provider to come up with a solution that fits that patient's individual needs and and helps with the problem. Yeah, unlike what you would do in Washington, you can't kick the can down the road. You have to solve that problem today. It may be that you step in and you uh, make a solution for a child that is an infant. We've done that many times for heart patients and things, or maybe it's just doing something for uh, for a, a vet for a dog or, you know, we've done things for zoos, made suppositories for elephants. Who would have thought that when you go to pharmacy school, you're going to end up having to develop a formula to make a suppository for an elephant. You just never know. Speaking of education, are you aware of the 2014 drug disposal of controlled substances ruling that regards safe disposal of unused medications? Well, we're lucky to have RX Destroyer sponsoring the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. RX Destroyer ready-to-use chemical drug disposal systems are safe, easy, and affordable products, which protect the environment and can save thousands in fines. To get more information on products, training, and medication waste, compliance, check out www.rxdestroyer.com slash talk to your pharmacist. There's so many things that you have to do, but it's, uh, you know, working with the community is priceless. And these people are, you know, you listen to what their struggles are. You listen to them tell you that they can't afford when they have to make a decision of buying their medication or buying groceries the next, next week, that's a problem. So we can try to step up and come up with a solution, maybe to get something a little less expensive or call the physician and say, hey, can we change this? That's what community pharmacists do. And that's what compounders do. We're problem solvers. And the beauty with that is if you can listen to patients on a day-to-day basis, you, you develop those skills. And Washington needs people who have legitimately run a business and can take those skills from their uh, profession, go to Washington, use those to make the government better, and then the intent is to come back to your vocation and do what you were doing in the first place. But, you know, healthcare is a huge, um, it's, it's a huge issue for every American. And I would love to be able to, uh, to help with that because getting competition across state lines for insurance is a big deal and it gives people more to choose from. And when competition makes everything better. And when you have competition, the ultimate winner is the consumer. And what I would love to do is to go to Congress and let the congressmen and women know that 
we pharmacists as trusted professionals, I would love to make them raving fans of what we do. And the only way to do that is to teach them one by one. And I'd love to, to raise the awareness of the value of what we offer and to help with the healthcare uh, situation that we're in. Certainly. Well, I, you know, there, there are a number of physicians in Congress. Um, I think when, uh, I think I heard uh, Senator, former Senator Bill Frist say that he was one of the only physicians, uh, or at least for part of time while he was there. So, um, but yeah, there's there's really not been a lot of phar- pharmacists, um, and I don't know if would you possibly be the first female pharmacist in Congress? If well, yes, maybe? and you okay. know, yeah, the first female. But there's only one right now, and uh, Buddy, I talk to him on a regular basis, and he says, "Look, I need help," and uh, mm-hmm. he's the only one that really understands the complexity of of our industry and the ways government makes it harder to serve the people in their needs. Uh, We need more women in Congress. And even in my district, the first district of Tennessee, there's never been a woman elected to Congress. Mm -hmm. And I'd love Mm -hmm. to, you know, this is the hundredth year of the women's suffrage. And wouldn't it be great to have a woman elected for this district and have our profession represented? You know, there's a lot of Republicans, uh, you know, in Congress, but Lord, there's not enough Republican women. There's not enough seats at the table for us. And, and we want to make that better. We want to, to uh, put women at the forefront. And uh, because we do a myriad of things, what do women do? We're, we're multitaskers in a lot of ways. You have your profession, you raise your family, you run your business. There's so many things that we can offer. And I'd love to be the first uh, female pharmacist and the first uh, woman to represent our district. Yeah. Wow. Well, I mean, this definitely is the year for, for women and, and amazing, uh, to talk about the hundred years since women have, um, you know, had the right to vote. Uh, so we will be cheering you on. The pharmacists will be for sure. Um, so Diana, uh, tell, you know, tell a little bit more about the importance of, of advocacy and, um, what are some ways that pharmacists can uh, be advocates for the profession, uh, you know, right now? What are some ways that they can get involved? Well, um, there's many chapters like NCPA or APC or APHA that you can join. They all have advocacy groups, especially dealing with, um, for example, APC, they have an advocacy advocacy group on compounding issues. The NCPA deals with uh, community pharmacies. APHA deals with every pharmacy, 60,000 members, I think. There's so many things you can do. You know, we go to Compounders on Capitol Hill every year just to to lobby and talk to our congressmen and women about the issues we face. Um, but on an every, you, you have these at your fingertips, and you can always talk to your congressman, congressman or, or congresswoman about these use, issues. And right now, it's PBMs and DIR fees that everybody is on the bandwagon for. But um, you, you know, we just have to to let uh, Congress know and and let other health professionals know that we are a healthcare alliance. We are very valuable in what we do, and we need to just let them know what our value is. And, uh, you know, I have a lot of young pharmacists who, who they don't see a bright future for us, but I do. And I want to go and I want to, 
let Congress know that we're here and we can help and we can step into those situations, just like this COVID-19 situation. There's a lot of value in what we can do. And uh, Congress needs to know that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, so Diana, um, we'd love to hear, I love to ask all of all of my guests um, this question. What is some advice that you would tell your younger self or for other pharmacists out there who are just getting started in their career? You can do more than you ever thought you could. Um, going to school full-time, working full-time, having a child uh, when I was in pharmacy school, and then you never stop. So there's always a potential. Don't, don't ever limit yourself. Don't ever think you can't do anything because what I did, um, you know, I was the first one to graduate in my family to, to graduate college. And um, I never thought I'd have an opportunity to do what I have done and to run potentially just throw my hat in the ring and run for Congress. That was unbelievable. I would have never thought that years ago. And, uh, you know, there's something that my young pharmacist gave me, and uh, it was a note that encouraged me when I decided to run. And, and what it said was, she believes she couldn't, so God did. And that's where I'm at. I am a very faith-oriented person, and that drives every decision that I make. And I know that uh, we can do anything. And, and you can look at Philippians. You can look at a lot of scripture. One of my favorites is uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. And uh, people just have to follow their heart. They have to set their path and their goal and go forward because uh, there's plans that come along and, and you just have to step into that situation. Raise your hand and say, pick me because the opportunities like this and what I'm going through right now running for Congress, they don't come along. And uh, it is tough and uh, it's hard, but it's worth fighting for. So if you're young and you have ambitions, you just continue to go. Pharmacy is a wonderful profession for women. We can go, we can raise our family, take time off, come right back into it. So if I would encourage anyone to do this, it's a wonderful profession. It's provided us and it's blessed our family. Looks like it has because everybody in my family is a pharmacist. <laughs> They sure are. Well, Diana, we thank you for raising your hand and putting your hat in the ring uh, so that you can, you know, represent uh, not only people from your community in East Tennessee, but hopefully to be another voice for pharmacists and for women. Um, we do need more women voices up there and more in leadership positions. So um, thanks for being a role model for women who are, you know, have a little ambition and, and want to take on some of those leadership roles. Um, so uh, where can people find you and, and support you? We'd love uh, to point them your direction. Well, let me give you my website. Uh, it's www.votediana.com. And that is my website. Um, you can certainly get me at, uh, I think uh, the Twitter is Diana Harshbarger. It's H-A-R-S-H-B-A-R-G-E-R at D Harshbarger TN1. Mm -hmm. 
Awesome. And and Premier Pharmacy there in Kingsport, Tennessee as well. You yes, can exactly. probably find you there when you're not going <laughs> exactly. across the district talking to people. Well, um, it has been a pleasure to have you as a guest on the Talk to Your Pharmacist podcast. Well, Hillary, I appreciate you so much asking me and I wish you luck in the future with your little one. And uh, just anytime you need advice on raising one, you let me know. Okay. (laughs) Thank you so much. Great to have you. Uh Thank you. And speaking of voting, APHA elections are still going on through May 11th, and I'm on the ballot for APHA's APPM Executive Committee. Please vote for Hillary Blackburn. I am in the member-at-large pair three and would appreciate your vote. Also, be sure to check us out at Talk to Your Pharmacist on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening to this episode of Talk to Your Pharmacist, produced by the Pharmacy Advisory Group. If you liked this episode, let us know by subscribing to the podcast, rating, and reviewing it. Share it with friends. And if you want to be a guest or know a pharmacist leader who has a great story to tell, connect with me, Hillary Blackburn, on LinkedIn and check out our Facebook page, Pharmacy Advisory Group for updates on new podcasts. Thanks for listening.